Testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, testing. Uh, testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, testing. Test, 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 test. Uh, erotica intro, take one. Listeners, hello. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Pop Maestros of the Podcast Generation. My name is Blake. And I am Quinn. And welcome to the show today. We've got Erotica by Madonna on the docket. Erotica was, of course, released October 20th, 1992. And this was released by Maverick Records, which was... Madonna's first release under her own publishing company. Ooh. And of course, we're talking about the album Erotica. Concurrently with Erotica, there was also a coffee table book entitled Sex that was released by Madonna. And this was also released by Maverick, a multimedia distribution company. Mm -hmm. And these two things were sort of put together in tandem. Of course, we did not track down a copy of Sex the Coffee Table book because I they, <laughs> Blake has informed me they were selling to the tune of like $350. Yes, the original first run uh, an original first run copy of the Erotica Coffee Table book goes anywhere from $350 to $900 from the research that I did. A brand new, like, sealed copy, you could probably sell for $1,000. But yes, and I was not well, able... Well, we saw the erotica music video, so yes. <laughs> that about sums it up. Yes, there, if you go on Google, you can see some, like, scans of the pages. I was able to look a little bit, and there's some really immaculate imagery in there. And it's a very, it seems like a very well-produced and laid out and sort of organized book. But yes, unfortunately, it is a very hard uh, actual book to track down and kind of a collector's item at this point. So if you do happen to own a copy of uh, the Erotica Coffee Table book or find it at like a thrift store for like $10, snatch it up because it, it's <laughs> You can valuable. make some money off you of can that. Make some va- <laughs> you can flip it if you want to flip it for, yeah. if you need $1,000, you can probably get it on eBay. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Erotica is a very interesting album, and the context and all of those things are fascinating layers to the story of this album. But I want to go back even further, because this is our introduction to Madonna, who I think many would argue is mm-hmm. the the face of pop music. She's certainly on the short list in terms of just success and mm-hmm. scope of career. Mm-hmm. But here we are at Madonna, and um, Blake, I understand that you are not particularly familiar with Madonna before this project, so I'm very curious what your full journey is with Madonna. When did you become aware of her, and what? how has your uh, artistic appreciation for her evolved? Yeah, absolutely. I... Full confession, this is the first Madonna album that I have ever listened to all the way through. So I first knew of Madonna through a little television program called Glee, because there is an episode in its first season 
that is quite literally titled The Power of Madonna. Okay, pause here. Okay. So, before that episode, did you have any, like, awareness of who Madonna was? Did you know any Madonna songs? Like, what were your thoughts of Madonna before you watched this episode? Uh, honestly, I probably recognize, I, like, knew the name, but, like, I don't think I could tell you, and I'm sure, a single song. I'm sure I heard, you know, Papa Don't Preach Like a Virgin, all of those songs growing up, but I don't think I formed a particularly close emotional attachment to them enough to where I could, like, feasibly, like, recognize and comprehend it as a Madonna song, but it was really... And then 2011, which was when I first started watching Glee, and then also when Madonna had her album MD&A, a play on words. <laughs> My I, favorite is, like, Cher has yeah. an interview around that time where they're asking her about, like, you know, Madonna's album, and Cher's like, what is MD&A? <laughs> is this a thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cher and Madonna's back and forth it's very funny to me yes but i remember i i remember like going through like the itunes charts about it was probably like sometime in 2011 and then hearing the song uh give me all your love with uh madonna Nicki minaj and m.i.a what a trio what a trio like i was listening to it earlier today and like it's not you could call it a guilty pleasure or maybe i'm just (laughs) blinded by nostalgia but i actually don't mind that song and I think there's some, I, I would love to do MDNA at some point. I've been, that's like, I think there's a, a couple of like really interesting things happening on it. I have not listened to it all the way through, but I. I haven't listened to it all the way through either. No, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I like it. I like it. But yes, like both of those moments watching that episode of Glee and then also listening to Give Me All Your Love uh, was kind of like my very first introduction to Madonna. And now this is the first time that I have listened to not only a full album of hers, but also an album that predates the 21st century, at least in her discography. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So what do you think about it? Uh, I I really liked it. I was not exactly sure what to expect going into it, because I know you weren't super familiar with it either. And like, I remember we were talking about what albums to do and we were thinking about doing an album by Madonna and you like kind of gave like a one sentence synopsis of what album kind of encompasses and entails and is about and you described erotica primarily being about sex and that it had the coffee table book and that it was super controversial and I was like you know what that sounds interesting let's do that and but I was really pleasantly surprised I think not only at the variety of subject matter on this record like I kind of going into it I thought it was just like okay is this just gonna be like full like 13 songs just strictly about sex but no there's a variety of subject matters there certainly are songs about sex on this record but I think there are some moments of tenderness and emotion that really I was not really expecting and honestly just really surprised me and I feel like this album really kind of gave me a lot of context and sort of information and filled in a lot of the holes in terms of I've always known that Madonna has been an incredibly respected uh, figure not only within pop culture but specifically within the LGBTQIA plus community and you know I figure I was always kind of curious as to why beyond just being a 
massively successful musician in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, 2000s and onward. But I feel like this album really kind of gave me that context and that perspective, the way that she discusses the AIDS crisis and epidemic in this album. I think there's a lot of just really interesting, a lot of really interesting things happening. And even from like an instrumental standpoint as well, there's a lot of, and her vocal delivery as well. I think there's just a lot about this record that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. And I feel like knowing her only from her like biggest hits, I think this was definitely kind of a moment where I was like, this is not what I was expecting, but I'm, I'm here for it. It was a pleasant surprise. And I'm looking forward to getting into it. But yeah, those are kind of my initial just general thoughts and impressions. Well, yeah, I think there's a real sensitivity to this album and sort of revisiting the AIDS crisis in general that has become, I think, a salient subject of conversation recently dealing with COVID and watching the government disregard certain lives and say that, you know, it doesn't really matter if, you know, our lives are valued or if scientific processes are carried out to mm-hmm. figure out what solutions are available for viruses and for health crises. Yeah, there's that's really been on my mind and particularly, you know, thinking about the LGBTQIA experience with the AIDS epidemic. Like there's a one meme that I saw that was really powerful <laughs> where there's like two people on um like they're on the gallows and they mm-hmm. have the the hangman's noose around their neck mm-hmm. and you know, the meme is like, can you believe the government is just letting people die? And then it was like, gay men from the 1990s, like, first time, huh? Like, uh, so, yeah, I think that there's a real rawness to exploring, particularly some of these songs on erotica that are uh, explicitly honoring victims of this terrible AIDS crisis that the government also did not seem particularly concerned about, mm-hmm. you know, preserving the lives of uh, this population. So it was uh, very poignant to encounter some of those works on this album and to see Madonna at this time actively championing the gay community's rights. And I think my interpretation of erotica before actually going into this album was okay this is like a a feminist work this is progressive because it's women talking about sex and i think i had a very baseline understanding that was not accurate to what this album is And I ultimately think I had a pretty reductive understanding of what this album was because, yes, Madonna is talking about sex and centralizing sex, but because the otherness that was attached to the queer community at this time was really a narrative of sexual deviancy, it was so powerful watching her using her platform to take ownership over sexuality and in doing so allowing the story to go beyond just cis white hetero stories in a way that could potentially save lives. So there was a real clear line that I could draw between her art and actually creating positive political change that could save lives. So that was pretty cool 
to explore with her artistry in this particular album and this particular time in her career. It's also super interesting looking at this as a moment of creative autonomy. This really isn't that unusual to look at pop stars, you know, diving into sexuality as a way to exert creative control. And, you know, it's hard to even know. I I don't know that Madonna can necessarily take credit for that, but also so much of her career and the moves that she's made have has served as a template for at least people that came after this that you really do have to look at erotica and this iteration of that trope as highly influential in sort of that good girl gone bad, which, again, I don't think Madonna was had a particularly good girl image ahead of this, but this was certainly diving farther into the controversy, foraying deeper into the taboo. And it is fascinating to look at, this is her fifth studio album, and uh, sonically, I think it's a lot more subdued than what she had been offering before. She had some really high-octane pop songs that were well-known. I mean, this was shortly after Vogue, and uh, this was after, of course, Like a Virgin, Like a Prayer, sort of the big pop heyday of Madonna. And it's cool to see that with her artistic control came a lot of big, bold choices, but also came some really refined choices that I think served to more subtly fuel her career into the later parts of the 90s and then in the new century. So there's a lot of overt, smart, bold choices, as well as some covert ones that made this all a really interesting affair. I mentioned Vogue, and it is interesting. Um, I would say... I was surprised to see the credits are really very short on this album. You know, some of these albums we've gone to, like every song seems to introduce a new songwriter or a new producer. Whereas on this album, you've got Shep Pettibone and Tony Shimkin, and they both, of course, worked on Vogue. And then later, Andre Betts comes in to produce and write a couple of these songs as well. And Andre Betts is, of course the producer of Justify My Love, which was uh, another Madonna number one single. It was a, a greatest hits single that was attached to her greatest hits album that came out. And it was extremely sexual in nature. Like I would say the video was even more sexual than like the erotica video. And then of course Vogue was for the movie I'm Breathless, but that was also a big hit and introduced Voguing, which is another um, staple of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, she introduced that to the mainstream. And I really do feel like erotica is the mashup of the statement of Vogue and the statement of Justify My Love. It's like matching the like lo-fi, sexy, kind of growling vixen vibe with dance floor queen mm-hmm. and sort of giving that like 90s R&B like light hip-hop production sprinkled over it just to create this very sonically interesting final product that i was bopping to all week blake (laughs) (laughs) it was there are some jams here yeah both both in the lo-fi like kind of bedroom bedroom variety and in the dance floor Mm -hmm. yeah wonderful wonderful to hear Uh, track by track ranking or 
track by track discussion, take one, uh, erotica. So track one, erotica for erotica. And this was, of course, the lead single for this project. It was uh, written and produced by Madonna, Shep Pettibone, and then Tony Shimkin is also credited as a, as a co-writer. I think some tea happened with Tony Shimkin Ooh. because originally he was only credited as a co-write on he was allowed to pick one song so he mm-hmm. picked it deeper and deeper because he thought that was going to be the hit yeah and retroactively he's been added as a writing credit on most of the shet pettibone madonna collabs but not all of them mm-hmm. and i was it was very information on like what and why happened with the royalties was few and far to come by it's, it doesn't seem like tony shimkin has like a beef with madonna he did several interviews about this album and didn't have anything bad to say so mm-hmm. I it's probably some legal Tetris that is not <laughs> that interesting but I did I I thought there was a story there and I really was like why, why can't I find this mm-hmm. um but it is interesting I I feel like I was taken back in time to when we did the positions uh, deep dive and mm-hmm. that interview with Zach saying that Ariana Grande did talking about like she was wanting to release 3435 as the lead single of that project but then was like I don't know if people are going to take it seriously mm-hmm. and they're going to dismiss the rest of the album yeah so this is like the opposite of that this is yeah. like if 3435 was the lead single oh, because for sure. erotica is um I think that that's just the only way this project could have been introduced to the world, honestly. There really isn't... There's probably smarter commercial decisions that could have gotten made, but as an artistic statement, I just think Erotica needed to be the lead single here. It just... The whole image of... Madonna is, of course, introducing an alter ego, which is something that is pretty... standard fare Mm -hmm. for pop stars at this point. Yeah. You know, she's continuing that trend. Mm -hmm. So she's, her alter ego is Dita, which is inspired by this, like, German actress. And she is introducing herself in the first couple words of the song as Dita and, like, wants the person, the subject of the song to be submissive and she's going to be dominant Mm -hmm. and take control. And... For being called erotica and being so explicit, you know, an explicit ode to S&M, there's a lot of real sophistication baked Mm -hmm. in there that I think from the start Mm -hmm. reveals erotica to be a much deeper album than just, like, put on some assless chaps and call it a day. Yeah. And I think it's easy to miss, but, like, she's saying erotica romance, and, like, she really attaches those two concepts to each other. Mm -hmm. And... I like that she does that because so much of, like, kinks and sexuality that is considered outside the norm is looked at as, like, kind of heartless and Mm -hmm. deviant and associated with, like, the devil and not, like, personable Mm -hmm. traits. And so to attach, like, a BDSM theme to Mm -hmm. love and romance and looking at it as, like, a furthering of those concepts between Mm -hmm. two people or more than that Mm -hmm. i thought that was really cool as a statement just right off the bat yeah absolutely and i think it definitely i feel like that even goes into the instrumentation as well is that i feel like at least written in my notes is that it has this very kind of 
at least with a title like erotica i guess i was expecting something to be like of course and having it be the title track and the opener is that i guess i was expecting something dare i say more extreme but i really like like and appreciate the mellowness of it of course the connection she makes between erotica and also romance as well but there's just this the kind of like it has this very rhythmic and just kind of not necessarily gentle but that she there's a thoughtfulness to which she approaches this subject matter that i think really resonates and that it's not like this bombastic overwhelming in your face like introduction into this world but it like very much it takes its time which i think it, a lot of these songs do a lot of these songs are over five minutes and so I think this is a great example of it is that it's Madonna really just kind of taking her time and kind of setting up the stage for the world of erotica. But I think there is, I think she creates a very accessible entry point, even if it's not, even if erotica as an album, but also the single itself is kind of more kind of both sonically and lyrically more distinctive than her previously released works. And I do think that this version of this song is really, you can see the ray of light influences later on and the furthering of electronic music that Madonna would do throughout her career. This is truly at its core a dance song. I mean, this is a club song. Yeah. This is something you play at like 4, 5, 6 a.m. Like <laughs> after you've been out all night and there's just, there's like a, a dangerousness to it, but it's still... Mm-hmm calm enough and yeah. soothing enough to sort of have that low-key club dancing all night sort mm-hmm. of vibe Yeah, that I think is so interesting. She says, you know, I want to put you in a trance several mm-hmm. times, and that definitely, it has tones of trance music in there, and I think it, it yeah. delivers on that request mm-hmm. very nicely. It's a very hypnotic listen there's also some middle eastern like layering Mm -hmm. in the sound which i have sort of mixed feelings about i guess Mm -hmm. there was a lawsuit the lebanese singer fey fey um said that her vocals were in the song then she didn't consent to she's saying he was hung on a wooded cross today in arabic Mm. i guess i didn't even really catch this part in the song there's a lot of little blips and nicks and crannies to explore Mm -hmm. in a five minute song yeah but yeah i you know that's too bad that that ended up in there um if that's not what they what faye ruse wanted but it looks like they settled out of court so i'm sure there's some Mm -hmm. monetary contribution faye ruse is getting from us Uh listening to this yeah for the podcast but yeah, I do think it's so funny. Like it's you can really see how Madonna was mm-hmm. never gonna win here. I mean, this was just gonna be controversial anyway you slice it. Yeah, because I feel like some people are gonna say, "Oh, well, this is just so sexual. How can you do this? Like how blasphemy?" Mm-hmm. And then other people are gonna say, "Like, oh, this is so subdued. It's boring. Like this is mm-hmm. an a, not an interesting song to listen to." And it's like, "Well, what do you want?" <laughs> do you want her to be more over the top and then she's too risque or do you want her to be less over the top and then she's not getting your attention yeah and so this was the highest charting song from this album as well it peaked Mm -hmm. at number three um which 
again, this was, I, I wouldn't even call this album a flop either, but in terms of Madonna at this point, this was a flop of an album, but I think she really sacrificed commercial viability here for artistic credibility. I don't think you get Madonna as long term of a prominent artist in the industry if you don't mm-hmm. have her making choices like this. So yeah. I think a really smart business decision to have such an album like this. But the album Erotica only peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot One or the Billboard two hundred rather, mm-hmm. which was a big surprise considering like this was her first album since her breakthrough that didn't chart at number one. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, again, I think it's you can see why it didn't mm-hmm. have the impact on the charts that like a like a virgin would or open your heart. Like this just wasn't Yeah. It was her making the decision that she was going to try to make this album be about something else, which I like. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the music video? Like uh, I thought it was pretty solid. I thought it was pretty solid overall. Again, I am also not I know Madonna is also very well known for the production and all of the effort and care and detail she puts into her music videos. And so I know that's a big part of it as well. And I I liked it. I think, believe it was this and then Deeper and Deeper were the only two singles that got music videos from this album. No, uh, there was a music video for Rain, for Fever, mm-hmm. and for Bad Girl. Okay. And Deeper and Deeper and Erotica. Okay, good to know. But yes, I watched the music videos for Erotica and Deeper and Deeper, and I liked both of them. Yeah, I feel like I don't really have a whole lot to say beyond that. Yeah, it did feel... So, if you haven't seen it, Mm -hmm. she's wearing, like, a mask and, like, a very kind of classic BDSM outfit, and it's just sort of interspersed with scenes sort of filmed in that grainy old Hollywood black and white quality. I'm sure if I was a film student, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have more astute terms for what those things are, but there's a really, like old Hollywood, like, kind of old-fashioned porn vibe yeah. to it. And it's just interspersed with cuts from them making the sex booklet. There's, yeah. like, there's cameos from Naomi Campbell and Isabella Rossellini and mm-hmm. a couple other famous people. Yeah. There's somebody who was, like, a famous gay porn star at the time that, oh. like, people are not actually sure if it's him or if it's a different model. Yeah. Um. So there was some tea about that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's... Really, like, you can tell that, like, you know how people are like, people these days are so self-centered, they're always on social media. Like, if Instagram was a thing, this was all Instagram bait. Like, (laughs) this whole video. I didn't think it was, like, super transcendent, but I think Erotica was setting such a different tone Mm -hmm. that I think having something that's a little more, like, unconventional and just there for the aesthetic rather than to tell a really clear story was fine. I think the running theme with these music videos is that, like, they kind of all don't really go anywhere, and by, like, the fifth one, it's a little old, but I think the one that's most forgivable is Erotica because it's really more of an aesthetic gauntlet that it's throwing for the project as a whole. The video was, of course, very controversial. It was only shown on MTV three separate occasions, all of which were after the 10 o'clock hour. This got banned, like everywhere (laughs) people were not okay with this being on mainstream uh platforms which again 
uh, we just did Beyonce by Beyonce was the previous album that we deep dove ahead of this, which yeah. I think is very appropriate because you can see a lot of erotica mm-hmm. in the the DNA of Beyonce. Yeah. But it, it is, it's funny and such an indicator of like where we are as a society mm-hmm. where like a lot of the stuff on Beyonce feels way more like boundary pushing and like yeah. frankly just like explicit mm-hmm. than erotica and like most of the stuff that's on this album this feels very tame in yeah. the 2021 lens but mm-hmm. I think that just goes to show how influential it was because yeah. not only did so many artists take this template mm-hmm. but they pushed it even further into the bounds of sexuality where, like, some of this stuff ultimately feels very tame and watered down by mm-hmm. comparison. Yeah. Um, like, you know, for to compare Where Life Begins, which is about being eaten out, to, yeah. like, blow. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yes. like, whoa, <laughs> mm-hmm. there is some escalation here of these concepts. But, mm-hmm. yeah, really influential, interesting stuff. And mm-hmm. I think... You know, Madonna, I definitely think there's a bit of an ego there and a bit of a self-aggrandizement, but she really did come out here and do this. Like, yeah, she did. There's, there was a real different pathway that I think she could have taken and ended up being a much less prominent fig- factor in the music industry. You know, again, back to Cher. Cher's like, you know, Madonna's incredibly creative, which is great <laughs> because she's not that talented. <laughs> But, I mean, I would argue the counterpoint to that is, like, this does take a certain level of talent to be able to understand the culture, understand what it needs, mm-hmm. and then put your own twist and spin on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, track two, Fever, take one. On to track two, Fever. So this is a cover of Fever, originally a Little Willie John song, and I think the most famous cover is by Peggy Lee. It is a well-regarded American standard on when you're feeling hot for somebody. Mm -hmm. So Mariah, the hots for somebody. And so I guess the backstory goes that this beat, they were working on a song called Goodbye to Innocence, and they had this beat that they worked on together, Shep, Pettibone, and Madonna, and they weren't quite loving it, and then Madonna started singing the words to Fever over the beat, and then they were like, oh, we kind of like this, so that's, they ended up going with it, and I'm... I'm of two minds of this. Like, part of me thinks that this cover of Fever doesn't really need to exist. And it's, you know, it's not as if Madonna's, like, vocally doing anything groundbreaking here. But there is something there in terms of putting this over, like, a house beat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like it fits well into the overall sort of thematic content of the record, Uh, I really like the use of keyboards on it. I think that was a nice sort of additional little touch. And I think a moment where the instrumentation definitely surprised me a little bit. I feel like there are definitely some moments where certain instruments came up where I was not expecting them to. And yeah, I overall, again, thought it was a solid cover. I am not as familiar with this song as you are. But again, I think... 
I think she's able to make it work on on the record. I would not be opposed it to either it being taken out, but also it makes complete sense that it's on here. So yeah, I it feels very much like when you're walking around Nordstrom Rack and like I love the specificity the different... of Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's not the main Nordstrom. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. It's Nordstrom Rack. You know, and you're, like, walking around and you feel, like, kind of bad, but it's also like, mm, this is a bit of a knockoff. Like, that's sort of how I feel about this song. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I there's something I like about it, and it did grow on me. Like, mm-hmm. the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, is this a cover of Fever? Like, we don't need this. Because I think I'm scarred a little bit by Madonna's cover of American Pie, which is mm-hmm. truly the most useless cover in American history. <laughs> um, but, yeah. No, I've, I've grown on fever. The music video for this is awful. I really hate it. She's wearing this very hideous, like, orange outfit. Ooh. And then, like, it's just she's dancing in front of a cheap green screen looking thing. And then some other guy in a thong is dancing in front of mm-hmm. another cheap green screen looking thing. And mm-hmm. it's just boring and doesn't go anywhere. And for such a prolific music video artist, it's like, yeah. moving on to the next one is mm-hmm. my takeaway there. But... Yeah, I like it. I I don't know that this was the right choice for releasing as a single. Yeah. I guess the recognizability of the song was maybe like, oh, it's people will be intrigued by this because it's Madonna's cover of a classic. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that that was the right choice, even though I like where it, it places on the album. I think it takes, you know, the serious moodiness of erotica and continues on with that, but, like, bumps it up a little bit so you're a little more, a little more intrigued. hmm And so now we arrive at track number three, which is Bye Bye Baby. Which... As opposed to Bye Bye Birdie. Yes. <gasps> Yes, and I, this is, if I'm being completely honest, this is pretty low in my ranking. I certainly don't think it's a bad song by any means. I think uh, there's, again, solid uh, instrumentation. I, again, I continue how she kind of experiments with different sounds with each different song we've heard on the record so far. I guess lyrically, it just kind of felt a bit sparse to me, and I feel like a lot of, with the length of these songs, a lot of the length... Like, I didn't mind. I felt like this was the only one where I felt like I kind of just zoned out. <laughs> and it and... is actually the shortest one. <laughs> yes. So that's not great. But, yeah, I honestly don't have a whole lot to really say about it. It just did I not think particularly it, it lives and dies. It lives and dies for me on how you feel about the, like, baby-ish vocal effects like both in the tone that she's singing and just the production and again that's something I like about this album is they use pretty like low quality like recording production to give it this sort of older like staticky feel which is something I do like in general on the album Yeah, and again I'm kind of the like I don't think there's a real obvious skip on this album. Like I think all the songs are really cohesive, and like I wouldn't play this album unless you were in the mood to listen to this kind of like '90s rainy Sunday aesthetic. Yeah. But if you are in the mood for it, I think all of these songs are good and not necessarily like there's not a one really clear like oh get this one off. Yeah. But like I just think her vocal effect is so weird here and I don't totally understand the reason for the production. Like mm-hmm. I, I guess she's using like baby talk and the song's called Bye Bye Baby, but 
it does it's a little reminiscent of like material girl madonna but more Mm -hmm. grating yeah and i just don't think that it has like the iconic pop hook or the full attitude to pull it off there is a sassiness Mm -hmm. to it but it just doesn't it's missing a little sparkle. I mm-hmm. Again, this was released as the sixth single off this project, so while they were definitely like trying to wind mm-hmm. things down, but I do think there are other songs that would have been better choices. And there isn't a music video to this one, too, which I think is fine, because I don't think we need to see Madonna wearing like a baby bonnet mm-hmm. <laughs> and doing that kind yeah, of like no. baby fetish thing. Yeah, like, We've seen enough of Madonna this go-around. Yeah, that that was probably a wise decision. <laughs> yeah, but no, not one of my very favorites from the album either. Uh, track four, Deeper and Deeper, take one. So as we're making our way deeper into the track list, this brings us to track four, Deeper and Deeper. Yeah. And this is probably the other big hit from this album this is other top 10 it peaked at number seven mm-hmm. and again i i said a lot of this album is justify my love and vogue had a child and deeper and deeper is like literally the sequel to vogue yeah. i mean this is chet pettibone again and chet mm-hmm. pettibone and madonna are responsible for vogue mm-hmm. and i mean even in the outro of this song at the end they're singing vogue oh yeah which was apparently madonna was just feeling it in the moment and then yeah. was like let your body move to the music and it's mm-hmm. it's funny to me because i was like oh i didn't see the vogue songwriters on the credits it's it's madonna and chet pettibone so they <laughs> didn't need to like yeah give themselves any more credit it was like yep we wrote the song we can cite it as much as we want yeah um and i think it is a very worthy sequel to vogue Mm -hmm. honestly like this is just dance floor heaven like on this album Mm -hmm. it has a real disco vibe and it feels a little like messier than vogue but like in the right ways it's like you play vogue Mm -hmm. at midnight when people's parents are still there and then Mm -hmm. by 6 a.m it's like nobody's parents are still here let's play deeper and deeper um and i i've seen some interesting interpretations of the lyrics to this song one commonly like the the gay Mm -hmm. community has really appropriated this song as, like, hearing it from the perspective of a young man, like, Mm -hmm. exploring and then ultimately embracing their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's cool. And I definitely see that vocal interpretation. I think so much of Erotica is a storytelling album, and it's, like, taking on different people's skin and Mm -hmm. different perspectives. So I totally like the idea that, like, there's Madonna is just giving voice to somebody else whose story this song is about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just danceable. It's great. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think definitely like hearing this song, I was like, this is the Madonna that I'm like pretty familiar with at this point. Just like a very classic, like, of course I know the song Vogue pretty well. And so, of course, here obviously, hearing it as the direct sequel to it, it was one really cool, because I didn't really even know that Vogue kind of had a sequel or a sister song. So was, hearing this come on for the first time, I thought it was just really cool to see how she's kind of, you know, carried 
one of her biggest hits and kind of breathed new life into it and given it a sequel in a later album, especially an album like this. And so I really, I, I appreciated the homage she paid to it. And yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Quinn. I think it's just a really great just kind of dance floor anthem. And I think where I kind of zoned out with Bye Bye Baby, like this immediately got my attention and got me like invested back into the world of erotica. And I will say, yes, this does follow the kind of classic Madonna mold. And I think it was cultivated to be a hit and to get a hit out of this album. But it still is a really, it's a a companion to the rest of the album. It makes a lot of sense in context, which I think is a really difficult balance to strike. So I appreciate it's both the commercial nature of the song without compromising the message of the album. The video, I think, is also kind of just Instagram bait. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I like it. It's apparently inspired by Andy Warhol and then an Italian director, Lucino Visconti. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of supposed to be playing the character of Edie Sedgwick, who was a, a Warhol gal and just kind of living a glamorous life in the art scene. And the whole, like, she's in a car driving around. And again, I'm sorry if the synopsis is sort of bad. (laughs) Pretty much all of these videos are, like, don't really have a story. I guess Bad Girl does. Yeah. But they don't really have much of a story. Like, they're just kind of aesthetic shots woven together in such a way. And I think Deeper and Deeper and Erotica are pretty successful versions of that. And then it just sort of falls off uh, with the other videos. But, yeah, she looks really good. There's a very, like, old Hollywood vibe. She almost doesn't even look like herself, Mm -hmm. like, in the video. She has, like, marcelled hair, and she shaves off her eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's a a unique look for her, which is sort of all of Madonna's looks. Yeah. But, yeah, it's the the video you'd expect to Mm -hmm. see from this song, which I think is just fine. Yeah. And so now we move on to track number five, which is Where Life Begins. And so... (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, in thinking about the subject of the song, it is very, like, huh. Yeah. Yeah, the song is all about being eaten out. And, yes, this is the introduction of Andre Betts. Um, So he... So, again, Shep Pettibone and Tony Shimkin... They worked on Erotica, Bye Bye Baby, Deeper and Deeper, Bad Girl, Thief of Hearts, Words, Rain, in Why Is It So Hard in This Life. So the collab with Betts is really relegated to Secret Garden, Waiting, and uh, this song, Where Life Begins. Um, And... This is really, I think, the bread and butter of erotica. Like, all all those songs prior to this were singles. This is the first official, like, album cut. Yeah. And there's so influential, this kind of, like, sexy spoke singing mm-hmm. versus, 
lo-fi, like, really wind things down, mm-hmm. kind of like jazzy, intimate 90s feel. Like, this is a sound that you hear, like, every pop star at some yeah. point has done this. And oh, yes. Again, was Madonna the first? No, but I just mm-hmm. think it casts a large shadow. This, like, mm-hmm. sultry, speak-singing oh, yes. sort of thing it's she's It's carried doing over even today, you think about oh, yeah. Billie Eilish, Lord, Lana Del Rey. Lady like, Gaga yes. does this all the time. Oh, Beyonce yeah. did it on yeah. Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Rihanna does it. Like it's just, it's become a a frequency that pop stars use to communicate a lot. With. Oh yeah. So I was very much, I, I was appreciative of mm-hmm. what this was contributing. And again, this was very similar to Justify My Love, which is sort of like the mm-hmm. zenith of those types of songs. But I liked it. I liked. I, again, I know some of the lyrics are pretty cheesy. <laughs> the Colonel Sanders part. I hate the Colonel. I hate the Colonel Sanders reference. Everything else. Finger looking good. So bad. Like it's so bad. It's good though. <laughs> or I, is it? I, I. It. It took me out of the song. It took me out of the song. It just. Mm-hmm. It. If they should cut out that one lyric. It's the same issue that I have with 3435, where at the very end she's like, it means I want a 69. It doesn't you. take much with you, Blake, and it all just the bamboo snaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sexy, fun song. I'm I'm a, a fan of where life begins. Yes. I definitely I I appreciate it despite some qualms I have with the lyricism. I think and of course it fits on the album. And yeah, I think I think it's nice. Maybe maybe it'll grow on me, but just I'm just still baffled. Like I get why the finger looking good. Like it makes sense. Like it's an obvious metaphor in comparison to make, but I'm just Colonel of all people, <laughs> Colonel Sanders is Not the, is who, who you, you want to thinking about. Is who you want to name check on your song about like eating out eating out. It's ugh. It did not work for me. Uh, Track six, Bad Girl, take one. Bad Girl, track six, our next track, was one of the songs I actually knew before this. This was a Madonna single I was aware of. And to be honest with you, I really love the song and the statement, and I think it's, like, a very catchy, sensible pop chorus. But what I was so struck with this time in exploring this song was I just think her vocals sound terrible (laughs) on this song. Yeah. Like, you know, Madonna is not necessarily well-known for being a powerhouse vocalist. And I think once she does Evita, which... I can't remember if it's before Bedtime Stories or after Bedtime Stories, but there's Bedtime Stories and then Ray of Light. Like, there's some improvement, I think, in her vocal stylings. Mm -hmm. After that, she gets some formal training. Yeah. But, like, there's just some vocal moments on this album that are a little rough to listen to. And, like, Bad Girl that, like, always be my baby. It's just, ugh! 
<laughs> like it yeah. makes me tense up listening to it. I wish I would love to hear the Celine Dion cover of Bad Girl. I think that would be <laughs> oh yeah, that would a be great. She could deliver on some of those more complicated mm-hmm. melodies. Yes. Um, but that said, so vocally not my favorite performance of hers. But as a song on erotica, I actually think it's inspired. Yeah. Because. It's the whole concept of, like, she's laid the groundwork of erotica and she's talking about sex and these heavy topics. And I think Bad Girl lets us know that she's taking all of this very seriously and looking like, okay, now that we've gone down this pathway, like, many people can get lost in alcoholism or toxic mindsets or habits. And so she's really taking on the perspective of, like, this bad girl who's just, like, too far down the path of hedonism and, you know, in a frustrating relationship and not necessarily using the greatest coping skills to get through it. Mm-hmm. Really humanizing the woman, even if the woman isn't always sympathetic, yeah. which is something I love that she's doing. And I think it just furthers the narrative that women can occupy in society and makes that lane wider and more complicated and makes us see women as people, which unfortunately mm-hmm. as a society we're often told not to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that's really interesting is I think the lyricism is really strong on this track. It's a lot of repetition, but I think the repetition works here. The main kind of verse that's repeated is bad girl, drunk by six, kissing someone else's lips, smoke too many cigarettes today, I'm not happy when I act this way. And it's repeated a number of times. But I think it's really interesting thinking about how when we were talking about Deeper and Deeper, one of the lyrical interpretations of that song is someone like going deeper and deeper into exploring their sexuality and thinking about a song like Bad Girl, where it's someone who who has explored their sexuality, but thinking about where it's kind of overtaken their life or that they are stuck in this kind of continual cycle of you know, of alcoholism, of smoking too many cigarettes, of this general sense of unhappiness. And I think the way that Madonna uses repetition in this record, whether it be lyrically or sonically, I think is really, really, really interesting. And I honestly, I think really inspired. I think it just goes to further show that she really took like time and care and intention when crafting this record. And that I think there are a lot of roads that she could have gone down making an album titled Erotica, but I really like the multiple perspectives she brings into it. There's almost like this, there's very much a narrative quality with this song. And so it feels like it's about her and Madonna owning and exploring her sexuality, but it also, it kind of expands, which I think, one, it was something I was not expecting, but also something that I really welcome and appreciate is that there's this kind of, there's this little erotica kind of universe and I yeah. really, and I really I really like that. I really like that. I would like to I feel honored that we got to take a step inside the world of erotica, but if she wanted to make erotica 2 sometime down the line or revisit it, it's I believe its 30th birthday will be next year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so if she wanted to do like erotica revisited 30 years later, I would totally love that. Yeah. Cool stuff. And then So, Bad Girl peaked at number 36 on the Billboard Hot 100, so I would say a minor chart hit. It broke her record string of 27 consecutive top 20 songs, Um, so that's a pretty impressive 
run of singles. Yeah, for sure. Um, even if this one broke it. And number 36 is not too far away from the top 20, so that was cool. The music video for this song I actually think is the best one from this erotica time frame. Um, it's weird, but, you know, Madonna's playing this gorgeous, you know, high-powered executive whose name is Louise Oriol, which mm-hmm. I guess Louise is her middle name, and Oriol is a street that she used to live on growing mm-hmm. up, so it's oh, um, an alter ego of, like, I guess who she could have been if she was normal. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. But she's a high-powered executive that's having lots of one-night stands and, you know, drinking, smoking, like, yeah. kind of trapped in... Uh, negative cycle and Christopher Walken plays her guardian angel (laughs) it's very weird but also kind of works and he's like sitting Mm -hmm. like in these like baseball stadium seats Mm -hmm. that are like hovering over all of the action that's going on Mm -hmm. and eventually she has a one night stand with some guy and Christopher Walken shows up and he kisses her and basically gives her the kiss of death and she's murdered by the guy she has a one night stand with and she's taken out in a body bag and it just kind of shows, like, there was no escaping this yeah. life and trajectory that she had set forth on. Which, again, it's just really interesting. And then, of course, at the end when she's dead, then she's sitting next to him in the baseball seats and smoking yeah. cigarettes with Christopher Walken, her now yeah. ex-guardian angel. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, there, it's just very... Um, it's an interesting story, and it feels very cinematic, just in mm-hmm. terms of the way it's shot. I would be interested to watch the whole movie of Louise Oriel yeah. and her, you know, this man that kills her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really showed Madonna's strengths in a cinematic music video that's pretty deep in the single cycle from her album. I mean, this was the third single, and it was pretty clear at that point it wasn't going to become a huge hit, or at least as big as the other albums she'd done up to that point. Yeah, absolutely. And so now that we have spent some time with uh, Louise Oriel, we move on to track number seven, which is Waiting, which I feel like very much kind of continues this nature of repetition that was, that Madonna explores and Bad Girl in Bad Girl exploring kind of the cycle of drinking and alcoholism and sex that Louise finds herself in this takes a different approach to it in that it's ultimately Madonna kind of pleading with this love and she's like kind of in the main chorus of the song is that I'm waiting can't you see that I'm waiting for you please don't break my heart there's this desperation to it that really kind of struck me and I think it's another moment on the album where the repetition at Ingle really works and so I feel like the more and more that we hear this waiting for you, it really works. And I think it's a kind of just an ingenious uh, way to kind of go about the subject matter in, within the context of this song. And it falls in line with a lot of the themes kind of explored. But I think it also, again, illustrates the seriousness and the depth at which Madonna explores sexuality and that this isn't so much about waiting for sex or pleasure it's ultimately waiting for a love who it seems pretty clear is not going to come back but then there's also (laughs) kind of this uh sadness to it as well this kind of looking back i knew it from the start that you would desert me kind of this moment of longing also paired with kind of this like hindsight i should have known 
but yeah, no, I I really like I really like this. I think it maybe goes on for a little bit too long. I think the repetition I like, but <laughs> it's almost it's, six minutes. Yes, <laughs> the repetition works, but also I think some of the it kind of gently fades out, and I think it could just it could be tightened a little. But I think structurally, it's great. Yeah, I think that waiting. I shares a lot with Bad Girl, and I really appreciated your insights in terms of pointing out the repetition of Bad Girl, because waiting is also stuck in a rut. It's just mm-hmm. like a, a pattern that's not changing, and it's not leading to constructive, life-affirming moments. I think it, again, contributes to the richness of the message of this album. Like, sexual liberation doesn't mean all of your relationship problems end. In fact, it might mean they're just beginning. Yeah. Because there's still so much to unpack and work through and solve in our society around our sexual and romantic relationships that sort of being willing to talk about it is the the first in a long line of things that need to happen. So I do like this stretch of the album that really taps into this like anger and frustration that Madonna is having or the the character that we're singing about is having with the people in her life that she's romantically involved with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean this is just like the production is just like as good as it gets here. Like it's just so rich and jazzy and smooth. Like this is just a phase of the 90s that had great production. I think it felt really like rich and expensive and takes you to a place in time so yeah like even though there's not a music video for this song like you can picture it just being like in black and white and she's looking gorgeous in a hotel room and just like Mm -hmm. slowly getting more agitated that he ain't there yet Mm mm-hmm I will comment there. So there is a bonus track or the explicit version of erotica has another version of this song called did you do it? And it has Dave Murphy and Mark Goodman rapping over mm-hmm. her sort of singing the hook. And yeah, it, they were just doing it kind of off the cuff one day and Madonna heard it and was like, Oh, I like that. Let's mm-hmm. put it on the album. And I think it also just goes to show this was a very hip-hop leaning song. Mm -hmm. And you can hear that when you're listening to it. Like, it makes sense as, like, a sample for a rap song. Mm -hmm. And, again, I think that's really the direction music was heading in. Like, this sort of soft 90s vibe R&B would give way to Mm hip-hop. So it's cool to see Madonna being a part of that transition Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think arbiting it, but definitely furthering the trend. I think for that's sure. something she can't really take credit for. But um, it it did. She found a very clever way to embed herself into the sound that was contemporary, while also mm-hmm. making some contributions of her own that mm-hmm. shaped the industry that she would continue to be successful in. Yeah, absolutely. I was like reading about that. I was reading about Diddy Do It, and she was apparently also inspired by dr dre and the chronic and that essentially that record came out within i think a similar time frame time frame and then i know they had been kind of talking in that time and i think i don't know if he like encouraged her to like put this track on it at the end but i know there is some sort dr dre was also connected to it in some way well yeah and it's Mm -hmm. interesting 
the fantasy remix that mm-hmm. Mariah Carey did with ODB for mm-hmm. her song Fantasy, yeah. that's really looked at as the template for the street sweet like pop singer rapper mm-hmm. collab yeah. that is so ubiquitous in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting to hear uh, did you do it because it is not that formula even though it is like it's still that hasn't really been perfected yet Mm -hmm. so in terms of like trying something new and being innovative i i like it but like you can definitely hear why like the mariah carey fantasy Mm -hmm. odb remix was like such a watershed moment because it was like oh this is what you were trying Mm -hmm. to make this yeah Uh, Thief of Hearts, take one. Yep, and so now that we have spent a little bit of time with waiting, we have waited with waiting. (laughs) I was wondering where that was going. Yes. (laughs) We can cut this part out. But... (laughs) Once you say that, then we have to. (laughs) Oh, yes. Anyways, okay, fuck, I'm just gonna stop recording. (laughs) Waiting, take two. So now that we have waited for our lover with waiting, and it seems like he's not coming back, we are going to move on to uh, track nine, Thief of Hearts. It's actually track eight. Shit, fuck. (laughs) Thief of Hearts, take three. So now that we have waited for our lover with waiting, and it seems like he's not coming back, we are going to move on to The Thief of Hearts, track eight. And so this song starts off with a bang. Madonna just says, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no messing around. No messing around at all. Yeah, you like hear a dish breaking, or shattering rather, mm-hmm. and bitch. <laughs> and then it's such an aggressive start. And then it gives way to like a pretty like, cool, easy-going dance floor beat. Mm-hmm. I'm not even gonna... I cannot contain myself. Thief of Hearts was my favorite find. I had never heard the song before in my life, and mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it is so great. It's dance floor gold. This song is not particularly feminist. Like, yes. it's Madonna, like, hunting down this woman that's, like, the Thief of Hearts trying to mm-hmm. steal her man. And she's yeah. like, bitch, don't take what's mine. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the the mood here. So, again, not feminist. But mm-hmm. I do appreciate so much of this album is really talking about the female perspective and the female story and other mm-hmm. female interactions. Like, mm-hmm. so many albums centralize the man so yeah. much. Like, even when it is about, like singing to a woman that's taking him away Mm -hmm. and I just I felt like this character of the thief of hearts was so like literary and interesting like I felt like there was this was a play on the queen of hearts and Mm -hmm. I just was very mesmerized by this thief of hearts character and what what was she doing and you know this is so much this album feels like it's taking place on a dance floor and like Mm -hmm. It's just like, who is this woman? Who is this Thief of Hearts? I Mm -hmm. found myself very intrigued. And I just think it's a relentless dance song. Like, it's a great, it's a great, the vibes are on point and Mm -hmm. just feels fresh and fun. And like, for uh, an artist who has so many prolific dance songs, this really did feel 
like an important one yeah. to, to the collection, even if it was like an album cut off mm-hmm. of a not particularly commercially well known offering of hers. Yeah, absolutely. I agree pretty much with all of what you just said. Yeah, it definitely like I feel like with like we have like these more kind of like solemn we have like these solemn moments with Bad Girl and waiting and then uh Thief of Hearts just takes you right out of it. It's just like we are bringing back up the energy again. We're just going to crank up the volume. And yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It was a track that really took me I think of all the tracks on this album, this one took me by the surprise the most. In terms of its subject matter, I thought it was going to, after hearing Waiting, I thought it was going to be referencing the lover and him being the Thief of Hearts. But no, it's kind of this really interesting subversion of expectation. And yeah, I feel like, again, to your point of examining the female perspective, I think this was a real, I think this is a really important song to have on here. And I can only see it like growing on me with time. And I'm sure as I continue to sit with the record, it will probably climb up in my rankings as well. No, this is, I don't know. I'm again, not super up to date with Madonna's fans and like what the celebrated, Mm -hmm. you know, tracks are that are not super well known commercially. Yeah. But I, if Thief of Hearts is not a beloved deep cut, then Mm -hmm. I, I will like to pitch its inclusion on the next (laughs) (laughs) underrated list. I was a big fan of it. Uh, track nine words take one now we move on to track nine which is simultaneously the catchiest and most annoying song (laughs) on this whole album Mm -hmm. i can't decide if i think it's grating and annoying or one of my favorites on the album it kind of goes back and forth for me Again, we're really keeping with this theme of frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, she's throwing plates at the Thief of Hearts in the song before this. Mm-hmm. And before that, I mean, it's bad girl and saying, like, I'm doing, you know, I'm, my life's not going the direction I want it to be. And then waiting, mm-hmm. you know, just feeling frustrated and like you're being hung out to dry. Like, words, I think, really completes that string of four songs, like, from track six to track nine. Yeah. And I do, again, really appreciate the dance floor production, even if it's not, like, my favorite. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's trying something new. It's furthering the sound. It's enriching Mm -hmm. the sonic landscape that's Mm -hmm. been created with erotica. Mm -hmm. So... Do I think that this is the best one of even that string of four songs? Like, no. I mm-hmm. think it does kind of... It kind of falls into the background a little bit. But yeah. for being an album cut mm-hmm. that's meant to sort of just further atmosphere, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's some really strong lyricism on here. I'm looking at the lyrics right now. A linguistic form that can meaningfully be spoken in isolation conversation expression a promise a sigh in short a lie a message from heaven a signal from hell i give you my word i'll never tell like there's definitely like i really appreciate the lyricism and the wordplay on here no pun intended but yeah i think it's yeah i think lyrically there's some really nice wordplay i think the message is a bit simplistic but i think it works and i think it continues from thief of hearts that kind of like very kind of like confrontational like like very confrontational side of madonna i think she continues it here and you know it's not an 
super complex message, but I I think it works. I I I enjoyed it. I think it's simple but effective. Uh, track 10, Rain, take one. And so now we arrive at track number 10, which is Rain, which I feel like is probably the most accessible song, at least from a commercial perspective, on Erotica. Like, it very much takes the kind of, like, the template of, like, the late 80s, early to mid 90s kind of power love ballad. Like, credits. Yeah, like, credit songs. Like, it's, yeah, it's essentially, I feel your love coming down like rain. Like, it's a very kind of simplistic metaphor. And I think it's definitely the most conventional track on this record, but... I think it's nice. I personally really enjoyed it. I think there, it kind of has like this classic feel to it. And I don't know. I I appreciated it. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a deviation from yeah. other songs on this album. Mm-hmm. It feels like it doesn't quite belong more than any other track. I still do think it fits. And so I don't begrudge its inclusion. But there is something to it that feels really bland that a lot of the album, while being kind of more lo-fi, still seems to avoid, like, a blandness. Mm -hmm. And so Rain wasn't my favorite for that reason. I do think Rain is an important cog in the Madonna singles architecture that's been built around her, particularly with this album and then as a whole, because Rain was released as the fifth single and it actually climbed all the way to number 14 on the chart which is mm-hmm. you know that's a very solid top 20 placement and uh, Tony Chimkin who again is not credited as a co-writer on the song but I think actually worked on it like he mm-hmm. talked about people you know it was kind of disappointing to see this album not perform as well commercially as other madonna albums prior yeah and he felt like people by the time rain was released as a single and people started to embrace rain that was when people started to come around and view this album more as just like a porn recording yeah and so that i think is cool that rain was able to I wouldn't say all that successfully because this wasn't like a major Mm -hmm. hit nor one that I think a lot of average people know or remember by Mm -hmm. Madonna or just as a song. Yeah. But I like that it was able to sort of write the course of, you know, correcting people's perceptions and images about the album. Mm -hmm. I also think the music video is really boring. Mm -hmm. She has like this black bob, Mm -hmm. like boy cut, which looks nice. It's Madonna though. She Mm -hmm. looks nice in most reinventions that she's done. And yeah, it's just kind of, it's very similar to like Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion. Just like a lot of shots like that feel like the end of the credits at a movie Mm -hmm. um, and just her looking pretty and then them showing like the behind the scenes stuff that's of course not actually behind the scenes and looks very manufactured. Like I could definitely see Celine covering this song. Yes. If she hasn't already, but this like very much struck me as like Mm -hmm. a Celine Dion type ballad. Yeah. And I just, I, I again don't mm-hmm. think there's anything offensive about it. I think it's fine and solid, but I mm-hmm. do think it's boring yeah. and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't have quite the same X factor that a lot of these other tracks do. Yeah, you're valid. Uh, 
I can't hear us. <laughs> so now Madonna asks us a question with track number 11. Why is it so hard? And so it this track doesn't exactly mean what you think it would mean on uh, an album titled Erotica, <laughs> but it is... And aren't we glad? Yes, aren't we glad? No, this is essentially Madonna's operatic plea for kindness in the world and why can't we all love one another, which I think is a very important message. At least for me, it felt slightly contradictory. Over a reggae beat. Yes. <laughs> It felt slightly contradictory coming after a song like Thief of Hearts, <laughs> where <laughs> she's all about taking down this other woman, and three tracks later, she's like, why is it so hard for us to love each other? Bring the love. Love your sister, love your brother. <laughs> but not the Thief of Hearts. Yes, but not the Thief of Hearts. So, yeah, I, again, I appreciate the message of it. I do think it's a little contradictory. Well, and it, but... again, I think it continues the yeah. rain thing of just being a little too schmaltzy. Yeah. So Shep Pettibone and Tony Shimkin both came, like, this was in the middle of the writing process where everyone was feeling burnt out, and they mm-hmm. both separately went on trips to the Caribbean and mm-hmm. then came back and were like, let's put a reggae beat in this song, <laughs> which is just... Seems like a recurring theme yeah, for a lot like, of, for the two '90s albums that we've reviewed. Yeah, like why don't we just like be culture vultures and <laughs> take stuff from going on vacation without like actually elevating any mm-hmm. Caribbean artist? That sounds cool. Um, yeah, so not my favorite. I mean, I do I love reggae, and I don't want to hate on the genre, but it I, I'm, it is a little irritating to just like have reggae get like plucked out of places and be like, yes. Our white superstar will make good use of this. <laughs> um, yeah, but I just, yeah, I think it's cheesy. I appreciate why this is here because I think this goes hand in hand with In This Life, which is the mm-hmm. next track, which I think is better than this, ultimately. But, um, yeah, it, it shows that Madonna's trying to say something more profound, mm-hmm. but I think the foundation is laid for that to be said much more successfully on the next track. Mm-hmm. Uh, track 12, In This Life, Take One. So, track 12, In This Life, is really Madonna's pretty explicit plea to get some help and resources behind ending the AIDS epidemic. And it also serves as like a love letter to two specific people that she lost to AIDS. The first verse is dedicated to Martin Burgoyne, who um, was her first tour manager. They used to live together in New York. It sounds like they were like people trying to make it together. Mm -hmm. He designed the cover sleeve for Burning Up. Mm -hmm. Um, He died in 1986. And then Christopher Flynn was like the first gay person she knew in her life. He was her ballet teacher Mm -hmm. growing up. And he, so he's who the second verse is dedicated to. Mm -hmm. And you can really hear and feel the heaviness of this period Mm -hmm. of time and just the crisis and despair that had set in about this disease. And, 
you know, I took a little bit of an issue in one of the interviews we watched with Madonna where she was like, I, I, I needed someone popular to talk about this so other people would care about it. Like, it, it did feel a little self-aggrandizing, but yeah. I do, at the same time, really appreciate that she was using her massive platform at this point to shed light on this issue when a lot of society was just turning their back and saying, well, we actually don't care about you, so the fact that you have a disease is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This track hit me so hard. And I think this is kind of like, this was a really kind of formative moment for me where it felt like I not only understood Erotica's place in time, its place within popular culture coming out in 1992 during the AIDS epidemic, understanding the context of when this album was made. But I feel like for me, this also really helped me just kind of understand uh, Madonna's kind of the way that she is revered within the queer community. I've always known she's been revered in the queer community and it's something that I kind of the reasoning I always thought was, oh, she's, you know, just for being a massive uh, musician, entertainer. But hearing this song and hearing these really heartfelt dedications and it's it's a long song. It's over five minutes and it's very it's very slow and it almost feels kind of like a spoken word as opposed to like an actual song and there's this kind of like interesting like orchestral i don't wouldn't necessarily call them swells but i think the instrumentation leans more towards orchestra in the background but there's an emotionality to it that really really touched me and i think to have i think yes i agree with you quinn i watched that same interview where i think the way that she talks about the song in interviews can be a little self-aggrandizing, but I think to have a song like this on a major commercial album in 1992 is incredibly... I, I appreciate the honesty and the candor with which she speaks, and I think it would be one thing to have Why Is It So Hard as a track on this album by itself and to have it be this plea for us to be better to each other, but then she goes on the next track, She, I feel like she kind of puts her money where her mouth is and that she really pays homage to people who lost their lives to this heartbreaking, this heartbreaking epidemic. And I think especially the lyric in the end where she's like, I'm hoping we can see some sort of resolution with, of this crisis within my lifetime is a really powerful sentiment. And I feel like it was, this was kind of like hearing the song was like a very like kind of I feel like a very formative moment in my pop maestro education and that I really it helped me understand Madonna on a much deeper level than I initially kind of understood her so for that I'm really grateful and I I really love this song this is the song that I keep coming back to of course it's not one that I feel like I'm gonna listen to every day (laughs) But it really, as an artistic statement, it really, it really touched me and it really moved me. Uh, Secret Garden track 13, take one. And it's interesting because I do think In This Life really gives off album closer vibes. But it's not the album closer. (laughs) It's the penultimate track. Uh, and so I do, again, I like that that's mm-hmm. the subversion of expectations, like kind of that yeah. the, the plea for a mm-hmm. better world usually is saved for that finale spot. Yeah. But no, we close with Secret Garden, track 13. Mm-hmm. And again, this is Andre Betts, Justify My Love Guy. Mm-hmm. And I 
love this song. I think it's so good. It's, again, pretty much like a spoken word, but it's over like a very jazzy, like last call lounge, there's haze, smoke in the air Mm. sort of production. And this is a love letter to Madonna's vagina, which (laughs) is, I mean, that's like what she said about it. Which I think is awesome, and again, I think kind of the perfect statement to close this mm-hmm. album on. But I just find the lyrics so interesting, and just the hook, like a petal that isn't torn, a heart that will not harden, a place that can be born in my secret garden, a rose without a thorn, a lover without scorn. Like, yes, it's talking about very explicit things, but it's also talking about like where does she find her safety and her contentment? Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like a really... It's cool that this album ended on a personal statement rather than something that's grander and more sweeping. Yeah. And I, I'm just a huge uh, per, perpetuant of this production, and I mm-hmm. think it, it really takes its time and ends out the album in a very sexy, natural way, mm-hmm. which is so much of erotica is about being sexy and natural. So... yeah. I I really am in, intrigued by this song, and it's one that I definitely want to listen to more and more times to pick up mm-hmm. more stuff and more substance. Yeah, I I am unfortunately I was not I am not on as high on this song as you are. I don't think it's bad by anything. I think I just need to spend more time with it. I think especially having this track come after uh, in this life where I was like very, had a very kind of personal connection and kind of just had this moment of like, oh my God, this is really powerful to have this kind of, it's a nice closer. I think it has like this really like kind of like jazzy instrumentation. And I think the spoken word nature of it is really interesting. And again, having this as the closing track is i think again a subversion of expectations that i think works again i didn't i think yeah i i don't even know what it is i think i just need to spend more time with it yeah Yeah. it's definitely one that i think requires several listens to Mm -hmm. and i think it could also be just like a mood song too, like one you put on when you want to enter that vibe yeah too Mm -hmm. but I'm a big fan of Secret Garden. Yeah. And that's awesome. Uh, Combined ranking reveal. Take one. And so, now it is time for everyone's favorite part of Pop Maestros of the Podcast Generation. We've broken down the songs, and now we're going to rank them all up. Yep, and we are starting, yep, and again, this is a combination of Quinn and I's separate rankings. We have a points-based system, and so we're going to start off at track number 13, which is Fever which this is mostly of my doing uh, with covers. I typically place them at the bottom just by default because it is not originally the artist's song. So that explains if there are any Madonna fever stands out there. That explains its place. You have Blake to blame. Yes. No, I didn't have the song much higher than the last spot, and it's not because I don't like it. I would say more so than anyone that's come in last so far. Like, mm-hmm. I have the least, like, just because it's number 13, it's like, okay, well, it's still a good song. Yeah, I think of all of these are good songs. So yeah. I'm... 
Sorry to Fever, but mm. somebody had to be last. Yeah. Then number 12 is Bye Bye Baby, which I think neither you or I were com- particularly drawn in with the, like, yeah. kind of whiny baby quality of her voice, but I do, I appreciate it, you know? I yeah. think it does add some artistic variety, yeah, which absolutely. I like to see. Yeah, and then that takes us to number 11, which is Why It's So Hard. Again, I I appreciate the sentiment. I just think that it's definitely explored in a lot more sort of interesting and engaging ways within this life. And yeah, I think it it's all right. Yeah, I agree. Then 10 is Rain, which I think you liked better than I did. Yeah, but... I think it's like five, four or five in my ranking. I, I am a fan of that song. Yeah, I think it just plays it a little safe, but yeah. it's solid. Yep. And then at number nine, we have uh, Where Life Begins. <laughs> I had that one way higher. On I know. It's already. it's the Colonel Sanders name drop for me. It's the <laughs> Colonel Sanders name drop for me. It, it's valid. A valid concern. Number eight is Waiting. I think some of these ones in this section I could be convinced to move up or down. But yeah, yeah Waiting, I think, is a pretty good like middle of the pack one Mm -hmm. it has some great production um and it makes its time and fits in terms of a thematic statement but it's not the most special yeah and i agree uh seven is words yeah i think overall a pretty solid track some fun lyricism on it and i think within sort of that four track of you know bad girl waiting words like the whole kind of collection of songs i think it works well in its context and yeah i think some interesting stuff happening on it and then number six which fun fact was what i put as my number one for the whole thing is secret garden Mm -hmm. i really like the experimental nature of it the spoken word and just lo-fi vibe i think it's a really cool way to end the album Mm mm-hmm and at number five, we have my personal number one, In This Life. Which, which this is maybe the lowest our personal number ones have ever yeah. ranked in terms of... I don't think yeah. either of us put those songs particularly high on our respective rankings. Yeah, for sure. But no, I respect it. Yeah. It's definitely a, a statement of Madonna's artistry and legacy beyond just this album. And then number four is the title track, Erotica. I think a solid place for that to end up. Definitely among the best on the album. Fun, Mm -hmm. interesting artistically. And giving us that controversy we all love. Yeah, we love to see it. And then at number three, we have Bad Girl. Which would be higher if it were sung better. Yes. (laughs) I do really like it. A valid critique. Not a great vocal moment. Yes. And then number two is another one of my personal favorites, The Thief of Hearts. (laughs) Yes. A dance floor classic, or should be a dance floor classic. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then at number one, we arrive at Deeper and Deeper. Of course, I feel like this is just such a great embodiment of Madonna's sound as a whole. It's danceable, it's super high energy, it's it's just fun. I think you can throw this on at a party or at a club, and it's just an easy way to get people dancing. It has almost an ethereal quality to it, and yeah, we both it was very high in both of our individual rankings. Well, and I do think, I think I viewed deeper and deeper before of this this project as like oh, deeper and deeper 
is the one they were trying to make a hit in spite of this album not being commercially successful. Yeah. And now my take on it is, no, Deeper and Deeper is what brought erotica writ large, like, to the masses. Like, yeah. it, it's kind of disguised. It's dressed up as being the, like, danceable single, but really it contains so many of the motifs and ideas that this album is trying to get across in a way that will reach farther than perhaps... Uh, why is it so hard would or yeah. even waiting for so sure. I, I think for that reason it really is a good summation of this album I also love they were having a lot of trouble like putting the song together and they didn't know like what they were going to do and I think it was um, Tony Shimkin was just playing the Spanish guitar one day and, mm-hmm. and I was like why don't we just do that? And like, yeah. like, I just, there's so much like deeper and deeper is really like everything in the kitchen sink of like dance floor jams. Mm-hmm. And it still just works. Like it's just really quintessential Madonna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, outro take one. So we cannot have an erotica podcast and not talk about who was in charge of the font for this album? Because it is hideous. Like, <laughs> it's this, like, Curls MT. Yeah. And, like, it looks like somebody went in there to, like, use paint mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. The thing I like about the text is it does sort of, like, give the illusion of it being a very defined cheekbone. Yeah. So it's a little corny, but I can understand the intention behind having that, like, twisty black line Mm -hmm. but just like the font is inexcusable yeah like it is so ugly Mm -hmm. it's it's not great it's not great but i do like the central image though i do like the kind of the intense saturation of the eyes of you know all essentially all the facial features the lips the eyes knowing that we have a little bit of kind of shadow to I don't know if that's supposed to represent Madonna's nose piercing because I know that she does have one. So that's how I interpreted huh. it. Because I know that she does have a nose ring. Okay. And I didn't know if that was supposed to represent. I like, believe it. But no, I, yeah. But yeah, that font is... No. What it needs to be, I think it needs to be in really clean letters and mm-hmm. it needs to be like silver. Yeah. Then I think it would look better. Mm-hmm. Or I think it would even make sense to I whatever font was used for the title of the coffee table book. I feel like that would make sense. Yeah. But who knows? No, and it's a much less pro- prominent title too. Like it's much more about the image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can you do? What can you do? But do you know Vanilla Ice also appeared in the Sex Coffee Table book? Oh, I did not know that. All right, alongside Naomi Campbell. Okay, alrighty. Good times. Good times indeed. <laughs> I bet Vanilla Ice himself forgot he was in mm-hmm. the Oh my god, I can only imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. but what a trio: Naomi, Madonna, and Vanilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the setup for a great joke. Oh yes. For sure, for sure. And that is the homework assignment for the listeners, is come up with a joke that involves Naomi Campbell, Madonna, and Vanilla Ice. Yes, if you... Yes, if you do it, we'll read it on the show. Mm -hmm. So, 
this is sort of, I guess, is it fair to say your official introduction to Madonna? I would say so, yeah. Beyond just, like, mm-hmm. the hits that kind of everybody knows, beyond Vogue, beyond, like, A Virgin, Papa Don't Preach, beyond whatever has been covered on Glee. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So do you think that you want to explore Madonna again? Do you have one in mind that you want to try? Ooh, I, of course, would love to do MDNA at some point. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting. That's one that I'm. There's more really with. two Madonna albums. Yeah, it's Erotica and MDNA. Yeah, those are the only the two. only ones that exist. Yeah, but I know uh, Confessions on a Dance Floor is highly revered. That was my favorite Madonna album in my phase as a child. Yes, so I'd love to explore that at some point. I'd, I'd love to explore if we uh, maybe her greatest hits collection as well, since I know that is also very celebrated. Yeah, yeah, the Immaculate Collection. Yes, the Immaculate Collection. Okay, so if I ever became a famous musical artist, I've decided that I'm going to name my greatest hits album The Quintessentials. Oh my god, of course. I feel like that would be great. Yes. Do you have a greatest hits album name for oh. your potential artist? I don't even know. I don't, because like I feel like Blake Drennan is like, I don't even know if I should say my first name. The Drennan Essentials? The Drennan Essentials. Like, I would probably, I feel like if I were to be a famous musician, I'd probably go by a stage name. Blake Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> album um, name or stage name. Yeah. Pick your poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought about Vitamin Q. Could Vitamin be a cool Q. Cool stage name. Ooh. Um, that's an idea I've had. Oh, very nice. But yeah, I don't know. Quinn is becoming much less of a guy's name, so I do kind of want to reclaim it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm, of course. Don't let them take it from me. Yeah. How could they ever? Well, I think in absence of any more riveting mm-hmm. observations about erotica, I think we might need to reveal what we're doing next time. Yes. And so... We're not going to do a drum roll, but our next album is we are traveling forward in time to 2013, where we are going to be doing a deep dive into One Bangers by Miley Cyrus. Which I'm anticipating this to be a really interesting one. Um, I have a lot of feelings about Bangers by Miley Cyrus. I think it's really at the center of a lot of conversations about cultural appropriation by white artists in popular music. Mm -hmm. And I think Bangers by Miley Cyrus is such a hot rod um, topic of conversation in that category. So I'm going to be curious to see what my takes are because I really don't think I've ever listened to Bangers from start to finish. I know the big songs, but... Mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah I have tried to listen to bangers multiple times I have been yet to be successful <laughs> in making it all oh, the way no. through <laughs> but no I'm really intrigued to really kind of sit down with it because you know I feel like it's been almost 10 years since it released which is crazy to think about because it literally felt like yesterday when we can't stop the music video and the song I remember exactly when and where I was when that music video and that song released and seeing it for the first time. So I think that's definitely also kind of a cool moment to have with one of these deep dives is that I can remember exactly who I was and where I was when this album rolled out. But yeah, it's, I've never been able to make it all the way through. And like, even looking at like the track list, there's like a, 
a really interesting lineup of collaborators. Like I know Britney Spears is on the like title track. Yeah, it's SMS Bangers featuring Britney Spears, uh, Nelly, Future, Big Sean, French Montana, and Ludacris. So an interesting lineup. But yeah, I'm really interested to see how Bangers as a whole is got how what it's gonna be like what a statement what a statement what a statement it will be i know there are some miley fans who are like it's her best album it's her best album it still has a little bit of a cult following to this day but i'm excited to see it all i want to see it all Mm -hmm. okay back to erotica blake Mm -hmm. what do you think the most streamed song on erotica is on spotify Ooh, that is a good question. I'm I'm going to go with the title track, Erotica. Okay, okay. So that looks to be the third most streamed oh, song okay. from this album. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's got 6.1 million streams, which I think is pretty healthy amount of streams considering yeah, sure. this came out way before the streaming era. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And I'll give you a little, a drop of bomb. Deeper and Deeper is also not the most streamed song from this album. Oh, okay. It's the second most. It has 6.5 million streams. Okay, then I guess, is Rain number? Yeah, it's Rain by a lot. Rain is the most streamed by, it's Mm -hmm. got 12.7 million streams. So it's nearly double Mm -hmm. Deeper and Deeper. What do you think the least streamed song on this album is? Ooh. I'm going to say... Thief of Hearts. It's in this life. In this life. In oh, this life hasn't us... cracked a milli. Everyone else so has. Bad. In this life, it's so... eight hundred eighty-eight thousand. Oh, that makes me so sad. Everyone, please go stream "In This Life" <laughs> right now by Madonna. That's tragic. I'm sorry, Blake. That makes me. Re- that all. Oh, I think it's because it's so yes, late on that's... the track list. I'm sure people hit play and then get mm-hmm. bored. It makes sense. Like I would... and it is kind of slow. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would. I completely understand it not being a commercially viable song. Yeah, but Thief of Hearts is actually up there pretty oh, far. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, so you've got 12 million for Rain, and then in the 6 million for Deeper and Deeper and Erotica. Mm-hmm. And then Fever actually has 3 million. Mm-hmm. And then every other song mm-hmm. is like 1.5 million or less. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a moment. The more you know. The more you know. And yeah, I think just in some final thoughts, Erotica is clearly a very influential album. And Mm -hmm. I think um, it makes me sad that it sort of was a pariah in Madonna's career. You know, Madonna talked about she feels like if she had it all to do over again, she maybe wouldn't have released Sex the Book so close to Erotica because she yeah. felt like the controversy of the coffee table book plus yeah. the eroticaness of Erotica mm-hmm. overshadowed the wider statement that the album was trying to make. Yeah. And I, it, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to revisit this album. Again, it was not one that when I was looking through Madonna's back catalog, I felt was particularly essential Mm -hmm. and like I didn't gravitate to it right away and felt Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's just all about like attention seeking, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, like, yes, it's Mm -hmm. feminist and groundbreaking, but it's a little bit Mm self-aggrandizing. And 
It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's self-aggrandizing things about mm-hmm. this, but in general, I think it's a much more nuanced and interesting and appropriate yeah. artistic statement. And it's been a real delight to look through it. And some of these songs I might grab for a couple playlists, yeah. depending on what I'm looking for. So of I course. feel very enriched mm-hmm. by this. And I, again, in talking about influence, like mm-hmm. beyond, I oh, mean, yeah. we talked about it in the podcast, but just like we just talked about Beyonce by Beyonce. Like, yeah. so many reference points mm-hmm. from this album can be seen in, in those albums. And that's, of course, yeah. a very celebrated deeper exploration into female sexuality and the pop star format Mm -hmm. so many others that are Mm -hmm. infinitely less impressive yes but um you know pretty much every major pop star has um explorations of sexuality that i think Mm -hmm. fall in the same like intimate confessional tone yeah um sort of a focus on sexiness rather than like delivering Mm -hmm. the classic pop thing vocally or production wise Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our show for this week. Thank you so much for justice listening. Justice for erotica. Yes, justice I guess, for erotica. Is this our first flop that we looked at? Ooh. I don't even think this is a flop. No, se. because I feel like it was just misunderstood in the moment. But I feel like even now, it like underperformed. Reading, yeah, it underperformed. But like I was like reading like reviews of it and like think pieces on it, and everybody was like. This is one of the most like progressive and like thought provoking albums of all time, like, and it's in like you know Rolling Stone top album. You know, yeah. like it's it's referenced and given a lot of respect. So yeah, I wouldn't call this an official flop. It was the closest mm. thing to a flop we've yeah. talked about so far. I think for some, yeah, I think for someone of Madonna's stature, that even though that like it technically underperformed both in 1992 and even now. Like, she's still at a status where she, even if she puts out whatever record, it it can perform well enough. She's built such a, she has such a legacy Mm -hmm. as a musician and entertainer that I think whatever she's going to put out is going to have some level of measurable There's an audience. There is an audience, yes. Even with her projects within the last 10 years that I think... Her last album, uh, Madam X, like, didn't even have a song that, like, cracked the top 100. I wouldn't be surprised. But, like, she still, like, did, like, a residency for it. There was, like, a con. There was, she did, like, a live album of that residency. So, like, there's still... Well, yeah, if, if you're a Madonna fan at this point, mm-hmm. like, you're not going anywhere. She has, so. such a, <laughs> she has such a dedicated fan base at this point that I yeah. cannot... Does Mariah... Why don't I say Mariah Carey? Uh, uh, Madonna... Does Madonna's fans have a name... I don't know. The Magicals. <laughs> I hope that's their name. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess another interesting legacy thing too mm-hmm. is not only did she show like, hey, sometimes you can, you know, go for a more artistic statement than like a commercial one. Mm-hmm. She also showed how you can navigate from that point. You know, yeah. she had these four really bl- massive blockbuster albums was mm-hmm. kind of the preeminent pop star. Yeah. Again, I don't think that this album took that away from her, but it definitely, like, mm-hmm. it, it eroded her cred rather than built her more cred. Yeah. And then I think with Bedtime Stories and then Ray of Light after this, I mean, she really paved the pathway mm-hmm. to 
continuing to be at the top of the game and like kind of make up for whatever deficits were happening and i do think you see that now with a lot of pop stars where like Mm -hmm. there isn't this widespread panic like if one project sort of underperforms because it's just like well yeah that doesn't mean your career's over at this point like there's still many adaptations you have left to to take Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think Madonna's whole idea of like having a, a specific reinvention that defines every album era and taking these larger themes but also marrying them to something that can be commercialized and parsed for parts. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's almost like you don't need to say it because it's so clear that she's the yeah. one that's been setting the pace for this type of styling. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's time for that to end. And I think there are some artists that are mm-hmm. re- restructuring what it looks like to be a pop star in this time frame. But, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think, like, a lot of... I think about a lot of my attitude that I had when we were talking about positions yeah. of, like... Yeah, this is gonna. I think Erotica. It was sort of like a positions type album in mm-hmm. Madonna's discography, where it's yeah. like, yeah, it came and went, and mm-hmm. there was some controversy that overshadowed like some of the content of the album. But like yeah. now that we have a more holistic view of what Madonna's career looks like, like this mm-hmm. occupies a really special place. Yeah, and I will definitely look at it in the context of Madonna's mm-hmm. whole offering mm-hmm. in a much different and more favorable way than I would have had not going on this deep dive. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's the end of our show. Thanks yes. for sticking with us yes. this long. Thank you so much Hope for listening. Hope you're having as much fun listening as we're having podcasting. Yes. So we will see you next time. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>